You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Do you know the name of the singer? Dina Menzel. Yeah, that's a Dina Menzel. <laughs> She's great in that. It's a classic American singer by the name of Thurl Ravenscroft. Ravenscroft? That was my favorite character in the new Innistrad set. I took one of those stupid uh, Harry Potter tests one time, and they told me I was in Ravenscroft. And uh, my family was ashamed because they were all Slytherin. <laughs> is, is Ravenclaw the dorks, or is that Hufflepuff? Ravensclaw is like the is the theater kids. I thought Ravensclaw were the jocks. No, no, that's that's Harry's. That's Gryffindor. Oh, yeah. I'm glad we're talking about this. This canceled IP. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike us, we're not canceled, right, Stan? Not yet. Five years. Any day now. Once they read my tweets. Hello and welcome to episode 254 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here, home for the holidays in Chicago, Illinois. I'm back, mom and dad. <laughs> He's back, baby. The prodigal podcaster has returned. It's Stan. And with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, is the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, my friend, I'm, I'm glad we're recording. Uh, in the same, t- in the similar time zones, I'm one behind. That's that's basically the same. Yeah, I can tell you, Shane. The future is bright. Is it? It's, I thought it would be slightly dimmer. <laughs> I, well, I've gotten an hour's worth of current events before you, so you're gonna love oh, man. it when it reaches you on the wire. Let me tell you, the news out of Colorado is hot <laughs> right now, guys. We're not gonna uh, talk about it, but wow, it's spicy. A spicy meatball. Also with us, the godfather of meatballs, Chicago's godfather of sausage, <laughs> the sausage king himself, the sausage king, Dave Harbarger. Yeah, I, it's taken me two years, but I am the sausage king of Oak Park. It's a, it's a small, it's a, it's a small town, but I thought we didn't mention Oak Park because you didn't want people to find you in the de- the dense urban jungle of Oak Park. They're just going to, they're going to be like knocking on doors. Is Dave here? Well, now that I'm a sausage king. Yeah. Dave's realized the cachet that comes with a certain western suburb. Mm-hmm. 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 People tour my house. It's a it's a Frank Lloyd Wright. He lives next to some Frank Lloyd Wrights. It may as well be. Didn't Frank Lloyd Wright just do your new backyard fence, actually? <laughs> yeah, the one that my neighbors are mad about. That's why they can't take <laughs> it down, though, because the Architectural Society has already declared it a landmark. You know what else is a landmark of card gaming accessories? Tell me. Heavy play. Heavy play is like a fence that you can put up around your cards that will make your neighbors mad, but you'll love it. Right, right. And and they're mad because they're jealous, because they know you've got the deck boxes and the play mats and the sleeves that are going to improve your gameplay and your game day. Thanks to their enhanced ergonomic mobility and protection. I brought my heavy play stuff with me to Chicago. You know, I always travel with with decks. Of course, they're in my heavy play boxes. Like, what else am I going to use? Nothing. It's, it's either Heavy Play or a rubber band, and I'm all out of rubber bands. Thanks, Roddy. Heavy Play's unique equip mag system allows you to magnetically attach dice, bundle decks, and carry your playmat all in a single hand through airport security or wherever your life takes you. And they're also coming soon to your LGS. If they're not in your LGS already, ask your LGS to stock them. That's one of the best ways to make sure Heavy Play accessories are available in your community. Demand them. And if you shop now at HeavyPlay.com, you can use promo code 
the Dive Down 2023, and you'll get 10% off your first order. At heavyplay.com? At heavyplay.com. That's HTTPS. <laughs> Colon is slash it's a, it's a secure website? You don't need dub 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 anymore. You can just do https colon slash slash heavyplay.com. I don't even think you need the HTTP thing. I think the browser does it for you. Listen, as long as everybody's certificates are all set up and are up to date <laughs> and we've done all the redirects when people have set up your website for you, yes, all of those things will work. However, it's not always a guarantee. I hope Randy's got some good certificates. It would be embarrassing if he didn't. And we were, we're stating this. What are we doing this week, Stan? Uh, that's a good question. Dave, you take, you tell us. It is time to shut this down for the year. Yes. Wow. I thought you were about to cancel the show. <laughs> Not yet. They haven't seen your tweets yet. We're waiting for everybody else for that part. We're waiting until uh, Chicago for that. Yeah. 23, 23 is coming to an end and we are going to take a little breather this episode. Maybe we're going to talk about some of what happened in 2023. Maybe we're going to talk about the laughs, the loves we had, the hates and the greats, as I like to think about it sometimes. Maybe not just magic. Maybe we'll actually do a wind down for the first time in 2023 and share something personal about ourselves. Too bad. Losers. <laughs> it's our time. You're talking to now. us? No, not you. It's our time now. In other words, it's time to wind down the dive down for 2023. I mean, we got to. This, I mean, the primary reason I do this podcast is because I get to hang out with like you guys every week. You know, mm. ideally, mm. all y'all. So that's 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 really what I look every. So here's here's a little peek behind the curtain for everybody. Here's here's my week. Okay, here's my usual week. It's like we you know we we get the episode back on on Wednesday morning. I listen to the episode. I kind of I trim out anything you know in there that I don't want. We release it on Thursday morning. I'm free. I'm free for like maybe two days. Twelve hours. Right? <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm mentally free of any obligation to magic. And then the weekend rolls around, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we gotta do another episode on Monday or maybe this weekend because you know Stanislav's schedule and stuff like that. Then it happens all again. Then then on you know the weekend hits or it's Monday night, and I I'm like, oh I'm tired. We gotta do another episode. And then I'm always revitalized by the end of the episode. I'm never tired at the end of the episode. I'm always like, oh that was a that was a good conversation. That was a good episode. So that's why I keep doing it is because even though we do it every week and it feels like sometimes like an obligation, it's it's always like a fun one that I enjoy doing and keeps me engaged with this game we love and hate. You know, I think I think it's important to remember how essential it is, I think, to people's mental health to have a third place. Are you familiar with the concept of third place? Yes. Oh, yes. That was grad school for me. I had two years of third place. <laughs> that's not what we mean. Yeah, this podcast. The bus vestibule. Yes, the bus. Yep, the, <laughs> the bus coffee festival. shop, the bar. Cheers. Yeah, exactly. And I think that really the dive down in this world that has happened to us in the last few years, you know, that is our third place. We we come here and we put our third place out on the internet for people to hear. But that's funny. Uh, it's for us and it's for you. But this one's really for us. Somehow that works out. Usually, I don't know how it happened, but yeah. However, it wouldn't really be the dive down if we weren't going to do at least one more thing to check off our list. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to talk about the regional championship in Atlanta from this weekend in Pioneer. We're going to try to keep it brief so we can have some fun times just gabbing at the end of this episode. But so this, it's, it's like the, it's the final thing on the advent calendar. If you are a, an advent calendar user. Day 23 is you open it up and you get one last tournament results. And day 24, yes. you open it up and you get recommendations for podcasts. You give not a single f- about <laughs> the final beep of the year. Here's hoping. Check that one off your bingo cards, people. But first, housekeeping. All right. We've got some uh, two new patrons. We've got 
George, George, Jorge, Z, Seth M. Uh, we have no increased tiers, no new reviews. We did have some, of course, Spotify engagement. I think it was some some repeat regulars there in the Spotify comments. You don't get shouts out every week, but thank you for engaging there. Yes. We, we did have one person ask if we send Patreon swag to Austria. Now, I, mean, I didn't publish this account before. because there's no way for me to reply to these people. I will say, I don't know if the tweet was, you're late. Are you guys ever going to send my stuff to to Austria? Or do you theoretically send things to Europe? And I will say, yes, we do theoretically send things to Europe. It just takes 12 to 18 months to do it. <laughs> we, uh, we, I'm caught up on the international. That's for sure. Perfect. Uh, I definitely, I def- and one, one from Austria was in there like, you know, two months ago when I sent it. I did get one back from Italy. So I apologize, Lorenzo. Uh, if if you were still waiting on that, if you're still out there, get me on Discord, my friend. Yeah, if you would like to f- see, you know, randomly if our swag can ship to the country where you live in, check us out on patreon.com slash the dive down. We appreciate your support. It has been five years since the dive down started, essentially. Uh, this yeah, is this week, basically. This episode is basically the five-year anniversary. We, uh, we we wouldn't be here without the support of the people on Patreon, the people in our Discord, and all those kind of things. So if you want to join up, hang out, check it out, uh, patreon.com slash the dive down. You can buy some uh, apparel from us if you want a logo or a hat or something like that from our store. That is the divedown.com slash store. You can go to Manitraders to rent Magic Online, Magic the Gathering cards, whether you want to play Pioneer or you want to play Modern or you want to play some other format that we don't talk about that much that's on Moto, you can get those from Manitraders.com. Use code THEDIVEDOWN23 for 10% off your first two months of rentals, Manitraders.com. And then we have plenty of stuff to talk about later as well. Regional championships. It's time. This is my favorite RC. This is my favorite breakdown in a long time because I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of R- I do a lot of breakdowns. Uh huh. Are you saying that I don't? I'm saying I don't think you do an inordinate amount of breakdowns. Oh wow, wow. Okay, Shane, I'm okay. on your side. <laughs> I didn't know there were sides, but I'm glad you're taking mine. Yeah, have okay. you guys? Did you guys watch the bear? Yeah, I've seen the bear. Maybe we're gonna talk about it later. This is starting to have some uh, the dinner of seven fishes kind of vibe. Let's let's just carry that through the whole. The whole episode. Perfect. Here. Some antagonism. Yeah. Yeah. Some casual antagonism in a car we're, driving. We're going to go back front, to second and third grade days. Yeah, exactly. Shall we, shall we begin by antagonizing the notion that uh, our region is the United States of America, 300 plus million people spanning the, like, what, fourth largest country in the world? That's a region. Yeah. Think about in it. Canada. No, it's not Canada. Drat. Canada's really big. Did you know that? They only have like 45 million people. Yeah, and most of them live below the northern border of the United States. Let that sink what? in. What? Let that sink in. Uh, That's wild. I, yes. <laughs> this was the largest invite-only magic tournament of all time. Did you guys know that? I heard that today, actually. I didn't realize there were that many people. Holy smokes, there's a lot of folks here. 1,307 players. At this RC. Yeah, I think that uh, Frank Karsten or somebody I saw tweeting about it was looking for proof that this was... Uh, it's certainly the largest invite-only Magic tournament in a long time. The question was, was this the largest one ever? And I think there's a good shot. Like, there's never been a Pro Tour with 1,300 people in it. So, checkmate. Checkmate. You, I'm not going to argue. Take that, vendors. Perfect. Yeah. Same same number of rounds as the Canadian uh, RC, by the way. 
with and, like four times the players. And the Canadian Highlander, RC. Um, we So last week, we spent a bunch of time breaking down the big questions that we had at the events. What ha- what might happen post-bans? What happen, might happen from unbans and Pioneer? What new cards were going to dominate? How would the meta turn out? We took a shot at the meta. Shane, are you ready to revisit our predictions of what was going to happen in the meta? We did, we did pretty well. Do you think so? I mean... I I was closest, I thought, but you're claiming Devin is. Devin was clearly the closest. In what way were you the closest? Okay, because so, I said that uh, Phoenix would be number one, and is it plus Grixis was just under Rakdos, although Devin was on record saying that he thought Rakdos would be slightly higher, and he was correct. Then uh, I had Convoke and uh, Amalia. I can't even remember. I had this all written in Discord. But I thought I thought we were all fairly close. The one that we missed was Azorius Control, of course. I did. What's I feel embarrassed because I was like I just didn't plant my flag. I was like Azorius Control will likely. I was like Azorius Control people like. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if it shows up. And then it was you know the fourth most represented deck in the room. Yeah. Here's the thing. I think if you believe the graphics that DreamHack put out on Twitter and put on their stream, we were actually kind of close. But their graphics were not right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they were. I mean, they were probably based off of like the melee, which they didn't have time to go through and look at thirteen hundred decks. Exactly, and apparently a bunch of people were being jokesters again and had messed up their deck names on purpose. I mean, also not on purpose. Like, I, right. you know, I saw some stuff where it was like, you know, Abzan combo for like Amalia, and you know, some slightly obfuscated things or just like things I can understand why they would not use that, but. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of Jokers out there. Are you guys beginning to think or feel that uh, the Jokers aren't heeding our warnings about misnaming <laughs> their deck? I mean, it's just it's just me yelling into the wind at this point. It's like me trying to talk to my five-year-old and my eight-year-old, being like, <laughs> why don't you guys listen to me? And they just don't even have the concept of listening. D- Dave, you are, you're a real modern-day Sisyphus. Except that the stone that you push up the hill is just poorly titled names of magic decks on FTG Melee. Exactly. I mean, listen, here's here's Frank Karsten's data on the RC. Here's what it says. Rakdos mid-range, 15.9%, which is actually 2% higher almost than what DreamHack reported for the deck. Yeah. Here's the, the first difference is that Amalia combo was 11.8%. That's 2.5% higher than what was originally reported during the day of recording. That's wild. Which is interesting. Uh, so Amalia combo was probably the second best, the second most played deck, actually. Is it Phoenix? 10.2%. That They actually nailed that one. So there weren't there wasn't much ambiguity in that, but it went from second to third place. Phoenix the, player is so honorable. Yes. Azorius Control, 8.4%, Boros Convoke at 7%, and Rakdos Sacrifice at 5%. For some reason, DreamHack reported that Lotus Field Combo was 6.6% of the metagame, and Frank is reporting that it was only 4.3% of the metagame. I guess that's because of Azorius Lotus yeah, Field. Like it must have been. Chunking them together into a single deck. Uh, but it depends on if you think those are the same or if they're not. No, However, they're not. Here, here's here's the thing. The big difference here really is that Amalia Combo, a new deck, was probably the second most registered deck for this, the largest invite-only Magic the Gathering tournament of all time. Yeah, of course it was. Of course it was. Really, I don't think any of us had it higher than fourth in our list, right? I guess Devin had it third. I thought, I thought Devin had it top three. I thought Devin, Devin had it third. Rakdos, Phoenix, third. Amalia is the three most popular decks. 
I, yeah. if I recall listening correctly while doing dishes. Checking my notes. Yeah, I had a Molly of fourth. So. Yeah. And then the other thing is, we had a huge miss. We all hated Azorius Control, and Azorius was the fourth highest registered deck in this tournament. And it was kind of far and away the deck with the highest win percentage, which I, I don't remember the last time I saw a tournament where Blue White Control was the quote unquote the best deck. But we'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah. Good timing and good cards. I mean, we'll talk, like you said, we'll get in the weeds on that. But yeah. The big problem is I'm just going to have to continue to eat crow on Amalia. It's uh, yeah. it's my bad. You're but gonna. also, again, the deck that I played didn't even have quarter calling in it, let alone return the ranks. So oh, we'll I, I just thought on. you meant like on what you were saying last week, which is like, you know, I think you and Devin were both kind of thinking that people were going to be able to metagame against this deck. Yeah. And I think people underestimated just how much this deck can grind mm-hmm. um, and kind of, you know, still present the false tempo strategy that it that it can do early on so yeah i i think myself and and you guys and and what i've been hearing elsewhere in magic spheres people assumed amalia combo was off to decks like rakdos and phoenix that are just so full of creature removal but that just doesn't seem the case that you know to shane's point like the deck can grind because it can either like set up conditions on how to recover immediately after it deals with removal or sweepers or whatever or it can just like not not like blank removal spells, but get all the creatures back from the graveyard and win on the spot. Yeah, yeah. it's just value. It's just value. Recur, I think, is the word we're looking for there, Stan. Recur. It can recur its threats. I concur. Bring its combo back. Yeah. But yeah, that's not I mean, we're just gonna talk more about these decks later. I don't wanna interrupt Dave on his metagame uh path through day one and day two. But here's the problem. So now if we look at conversion data, we we really only have the dream hack data to look at or at least they're the way that they titled things yeah so everything's going to be a little bit fudged i think it's a little bit off because of deck names and i didn't have time to go back and manually reconcile things because it was 1300 decks sorry but here's the notable changes from day one to day two so amalia went from being the second deck to being the most played deck in day two 14.7 percent of the metagame again i think that's might even be underreported given the way that that things yeah. were compared to, between Frank's data and the DreamHack data originally. Then you have Rack Mid at 14%. You have Azorius Control at 11%, and Phoenix at also at 11%. Azorius Controls, I guess, is closer to 12%. These four decks all increased or maintained their share between the days. One of the other big ones is en- Enigmatic Fires, of course, which didn't even show up in the breakdown of day one, at least according to DreamHack. However, on Frank's data, it was 2.3% of the meta. On day two, it was 4.3% of the day of the, the meta. So it actually went up quite a bit as well. So Amalia went up 5%, Control went up 4%. That is a big shift for decks converting between day one and day two. We don't usually see things quite that much but uh, i think it's just a hint of what was actually going on in this tournament for sure and then the losers convoke lotus field grease fang grease fang was around all around a percent or so that they lost and then the big difference actually is other of course other went from being 31 percent of the day one meta to being 25 percent of the field on day two so that explains where the extra metagame share came for the decks that kind of came out on the top yep always it's always a big bite out of other yeah, unfortunately, bite another. <laughs> so, on our continued march from day one to day two at the top eight, the top eight was pretty funny, right? 
<laughs> what makes what makes it funny for you? I mean, it was four decks, two copies each. Yeah, perfect. The perfect meta. You have four decks to play. Now, in the notes, I wrote two rack mid, two is it Phoenix, two Amalia combo, two is it Phoenix, and two blue eye control. That's 10 decks, guys. I just realized <laughs> this. So I, I'm going to play that back more slowly for everybody. Uh, two Rakdos mid, two is it Phoenix, two Amalia combo, and two blue white control decks. Dreamhack also had listed out here that there were three Rakdos mid decks here when you look at the graphics for their top eight bracket that went out on Twitter. So there's a little, little typo there. There was actually two of each deck from what I saw on uh, MTG Melee. The tournament was won by Daniel Weiser on Blue Eye Control. Mazeltov. Mazeltov, Daniel. Twitter, Twitter drama number one of the weekend involved, I don't know, some kind of replay involving Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> some kind of replay. I'm going to move on from that. I'm just going to note it and move on. Um, I, I thought it would be interesting for us to take a look at the way that these builds compare to each other since there was two of each of the four decks that were in the top eight. And I actually think there are some little stories that explain or at least are kind of symbols of what was going on in the tournament at large here in this, you know, if we compare these to each other. So let's start with Rack Mid. Rack Mid was played by two different players in the top eight, Paul Green and Anna Wagner. Pretty interesting difference in the two builds here, actually. And it feels like maybe there might be two different directions to go with Rakdos, and it's something that I think people have intimated as they started to play with Smuggler's Copter. One is that we're going to really lower the curve, okay? And we're only going to have a couple of cards above two uh, mana value in the creature slot. That is Paul Green's list, which included four Inti, it included four yes. Blood Tithe Harvester, it included three Copters, it also included only, the only things that were above two mana value in the creature slot were two Shieldred, two Graveyard Trespasser, and three Giant. Why am I trying to slowly blank on the name Bone of the Giant? Bone Crusher Giant? Bone Crusher Giant. Yeah, Bone Crusher Giant. So only five cards that were three mana value or greater in that deck as far as the creature slots go. There was a Kroxa. There was a couple of other things in there that you could really use to... I, I basically think that this list was optimized to have a pretty good creature to be able to either be ready to crew copter or to just be kind of more aggressive in general and make sure that you hit that curve of like copter into a three drop or uh, fable of the mirror breaker essentially but anti main in a deck like rakdos was actually something i wasn't quite expecting and it seemed like it worked out pretty well yeah i watched a little bit of some of the anti deck on camera i didn't watch a ton of covers this weekend but the stuff i did i, I did see like an anti versus i think a control matchup and it's appealing for sure like it, it's it's doing a lot in that deck for sure it's really pumping the small creatures into relevance more often like it's you know putting counters on like a blood blood tithe harvester which i think can get pretty strong pretty fast it's a three two right out of the gate blood tithe is yeah yeah, so you know, getting counters on that is is perfectly good. It, it turns you through your deck in like an interesting way. I think it's it's a it's a potentially strong addition. It's definitely the way I would want to play the deck, of course, because it's more aggressive. Yeah, I know Paul personally. I think I recognize him too. He was a judge at Dice Dojo for a long time here in Chicago, and now he or eventually he moved. And as far as I know, he still lives in Colorado. Oh, so. really? Yeah, maybe it's you, Shane. A neighbor. Hello, neighbor. Hello, neighbor. But Paul's, Paul's a cool cat, and uh, he was always a fantastic Magic player. And it was really exciting to kind of see him like go this deep into the tournament just because he's nice and smart and talented. Yeah. I'd love to see it. And on the other hand, Anna Wagener, or Wag Wagener, um, 
I think went undefeated day one, if I'm remembering properly from what I saw on Twitter, was like 9-0 or something like that at the end of day one before we went to the, the 10th round, you know, the 10th round that happens on um, literal day one versus metaphysical day one, I suppose, is the way that we think about that. The first round of day two is played at the end of day one. This deck was pretty different. You know, it only had Blood Tithe Harvester and Bank Buster as two drops. So there were two Reckoner Bank Busters and two four Blood Tithe Harvesters in this deck. And then it had four Bone Crusher Giants, three Graveyard Trespassers, uh, a Kroxa, which I guess is a two-drop, technically speaking, Shieldred, and Archfiend of the Dross as the creature suite. Now, there was only... Uh, two children and one Archfiend. Archfiend of the Dross just straight up getting played for value. Shane, something that you talked about at the time of the spoiler episode where I was like, I don't know if this card is like really okay to just play on rate. People are just playing this card on rate. And there there it is. The evil bunny corn. Evil bunny corn. Uh, other than that, you know, the, one of the main things to keep in mind is that uh, Anna's list also had a bit more interaction overall. 10 spells, basically. Where as opposed to, I think that Paul's list I'm looking at right now only really had seven non-discard spells. And uh, yeah, but it was interesting. One is a little bit higher curve. One's a little bit lower curve. And it's these kind of two ends of the Rakdos kind of spectrum. And I guess maybe all of us were expecting a little bit more of an impact out of Smuggler's Copter, given how popular it was and the challenges coming up to this. And Shane, I know we're going to talk about this later, but you know, it just kind of shows that it's possible for people to adjust Rakdos even if it's all mid-range to a style that maybe they feel comfortable with for attacking the meta. Yeah, I think players who are serious about Rakdos mid are going to likely want to dig into these deck lists and look at the construction of them. Because, not to spoil anything, but even with the advances in Rakdos and the prevalence that it had in the metagame and Day 2, it still was like a 49.5% deck. Yeah. So I'm curious which variants, if any, if either... Kind of was doing better than the other, like the you know the copterless Rakdos was that doing uh, worse, or was like you know these Inti variants were they particularly strong? Is there enough sample size to really make a decision? So that's something that I'm sure people will be doing in the near future. Well, my hunch is that Paul's build because it's shaving on some interaction to have more threats and more copters. I like part of me wonders whether this is tuned to deal with more mirror matches and Phoenix and control decks where you know you've recognized that your threats are going to be contested very frequently by like the most popular decks in the metagame for the most part and being able to like continuously apply pressure with something like copter while also filtering your hand for either more threats or whatever interaction needs to line up for you to kind of turn the corner it is almost like a more of a metagame choice than what anna's playing which is a, a little bit more traditional, I think, and and probably just like the proven cards that have been good in Rakdos for a really long time at this point. I will say digging through like the top 75 decks quickly on Melee, the only one of like the six or so was was like a was a classic list. Like the the new ones are all all these ones here are running like three to four inties. So this may be the direction in which we see the deck skew a little bit in the near future, at least. It's Inti and Copter versus one that only had Bank Buster, kind of. Yeah. And a higher curve. Interesting. That's cool. That's, I mean, it's a new version. And that's definitely a version of like a more aggressive Rakdos deck that speaks to me. You know, you're doing more stuff with your cards. You're doing more stuff with your deck. You're not just playing kind of the, the classic mid-range strategy that Rakdos has typically presented. And that definitely is something that intrigues me um, about the format and reinventing a deck like Rakdos midrange is really something 
Like if, if that's really all we get out of like Smuggler's Copter and Inti, then that's something for sure. Like to, just to take a deck that's been around in its current fashion uh, since Shieldred and before. So it's like over a year and a quarter now, then sweet. I love it. Yeah. I mean, just think about the big thing. I think the big slightly forgotten thing about Inti is it gains trample until end of turn. Like that's part of what's going on here. And so some of the bigger creatures that sneak their way into this build or what you make it, you know, that's your evasion that happens from this. Even, you know, Paul's list even has three Kroxa and Anna's only has one. And so if you get to that kind of later on game where you get a Kroxa back out in the world and you give a trample, I imagine that's pretty good. You know, Shieldra with trample is pretty reasonable just to like make the deck more aggressive, more aggressive over time. But anyway, maybe that's enough for Rakdos mid. Let's take a look at Is It Phoenix. Is It Phoenix was one of the other most popular decks, of course. Here's the thing. The list by Robert King and Mark Stanton, pretty much the same. Same creature, creature list. They had Phoenix, Shredder, and Picklock Prankster. Neither one of these players was running Thing in the Ice or anything kind of strange in that particular um, Is It Phoenix creature suite. They're also running Cruise, uh, two cr- or four Cruise, four Sleight of Hand, and a Temporal Trespass. However, the uh, instant interaction suites are pretty different. Robert King has a couple of Fading Hope. I'm assuming that's a bit to help against Amalia, you know, cards that give things indestructible, basically. And maybe a little more of a one CMC answer against Shieldred as well. And then other than that, these decks just look like Phoenix. So I don't know if we have a ton to say about Phoenix in this sense, other than the fact that, you know, the Grixis list that people were starting to experiment around with don't seem to have held up particularly well in this in this metagame environment they had a much lower win rate than regular phoenix they were a much smaller share of the meta than the regular phoenix and so i think that this is probably just you know it still kind of is its game to play as far as phoenix goes yeah and not to spoil anything but since we're, i doubt we're going to talk much about it later is you know ostensibly you play something like rick six phoenix to get access to black removal things like that it's you know, potentially going to be helpful against something like amalia combo and it did poorly against amalia like a 37 percent win rate that's not where you want to be. It did, and it, you know, it did even beat the mirror, which is also a place where I think you would want to be. So yeah, it might be kind of out. Yeah, too cute, too cute by a little bit, maybe, huh? I mean, I can't speak to that. I'm not, you know, I, I think the if you brought Phoenix to this, I'm assuming that you had practiced a lot, and I'm sure people tested Grixis, and it seems like many more people sort of went back to is it phoenix if they ever had left in the first place so yeah yeah all right let's move on to the next deck the hype deck of the weekend amalia combo of course let's go yeah shane this is your thing that you are interested in (laughs) i will say that the two last lists between robert crinkle and adam brace they were nearly identical as far as this weekend goes. Uh, the main difference that I saw is that Robert Crankle had four Cenote Scout and Adam Brace had two Scout and two Sentinel of the Nameless City. So maybe... Yeah, Sentinel was interesting. He was the only person I really saw play that. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, I didn't see a lot of Sentinels elsewhere. I'm sure there were some. It made me wonder if Adam was playing a little more of a like, hey, we're going to play a more balanced game with this or like not as all in on combo just in case something happens maybe i can still have a three drop that gets me some card advantage and can attack in like that kind of thing yeah but. i kind of was thinking that as well like here here's just a, a good threat here's just a good card to have in there that's still actually i, mean, I don't remember like the explorer 
triggering event on it, but you can you know you can play it as a three drop, right? And then it explores for you versus a cenote scout. Yes, I'm going to read it to you now, just to make oh, please. you have I'm to listen ears. to it. Whenever uh, Sentinel of the Nameless City enters the battlefield or attacks, create a map token. So you know, and it's a three mana three four Ugh. with vigilance. I don't like that as much. Although the the map token makes sense because you know early on. This is extremely obvious, I'm sure, for most people. But I was kind of like, why are we doing Gilded Goose things with this deck? And I was like, oh, wait, the food token. So the food token is like gain life on demand. Right. And then the map token is explore on demand. Right. But it's not a one drop. It's not also a mana advantage if needed. But, you know, similar idea. You can, you can, you, you don't have to get three creatures you, to get things going. You can have just get the two and then pop the map token. Yeah. I think it's just a somewhat more stout, like attacker and defender, if you want to have that in your deck for more fair games, like I was saying. You know, the sideboard's a little different. Adam had two Voice of Resurgence and Shaper Sanctuary. Robert has a few other protection pieces instead, like Guardian of Faith, and also included three copies of Faith. It'll push, but it really feels to me like this deck has started to coalesce a lot more over the last couple of weeks since the last time that we talked. Both of them have Dina Soul Steeper in the in the deck as a one of. I don't think that that was in every single deck that we looked at last time. The four Gilded Goose thing, like you said, like that wasn't there before, but it's nice. You know, you can ramp and you can also have life gain on demand if you want to from the food tokens. And then everything else, I think, is starting to really clear up with the um, the other big thing being that most people have finally started playing Sonote Scout all the time. And that was a little bit all over the place when I started, when I tried this deck originally as well. Then you have three Return to the Ranks, four Quarter Calling, four Collected Company, and that is the deck. Yeah, I think three seems like the number people have decided on for Return. It's like, you know, you, you want to draw maybe exactly one. And because of the way the combo works, you could just effectively scry it to the top, explore it to the top. So I think three makes perfect sense here. Yep. Yep. All right. Finally, the last deck that was in the top four, Azorius Control. Uh, what? <laughs> I mean, this this deck has good tech now. I mean, uh, imagine like I don't want to see temporary lockdown if I'm playing Amalia. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to see the type of you know, removal and sweepers. We know that you can you know, rebuild from certain types of sweepers, but yeah, I mean, this is this deck, especially right now. I think had a window. Where they this the people that are playing this deck could probably predict the top five to seven decks and just be like, look, I've got a core strategy and then a sideboard that's going to shore up these these matchups and go to town. Yeah, and it's unbelievable. I mean, blue white. Here, here's a couple things real quick. There was actually a pretty big difference between these two decks that were in the top eight, and the big difference was the deck that won had. Yorian as a companion, and the other one did not. And so basically every time I feel like we are making our way out of that companion-induced <laughs> hell of March 2020, we get pulled back in. And here we are again, Yorian making it happen. So the decks are pretty different from each other because of that. You know, like, of course, Daniel's deck had room for things like four Omen of the Sea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you can't just you can't play that in a deck that doesn't have Yorian. You wouldn't really want to, but in a deck that has Yorian, you want it. So it's a, it's a pretty big difference between these two. But the big thing to me, and Shane pointed it out, is I really think that its temporary lockdown is just an extremely good card when you look at the meta across. I think all these other decks, especially if Rakdos is lowering its curve enough to be able to have some stuff that's lower. I mean, it gets rid of three or less permanents, so it kind of gets rid of all the permanents in Rakdos, regardless. 
lists. But I think if you're aggressive and don't have slightly bigger creatures, it kind of hits it. What is it? It is, is it two, two or less. less. Two or less. Oh, it's two or less. If there it was three go. or less, that would be one of the best pieces of removal ever printed. I think it's still one of the best, at least good. for Pioneer. At least for Pioneer. So sorry for that that misremembering on my I don't want the brain. angry comments, David. Yes. No, you got it. So temporary lockdown is if Rakdos is lowering its curve, which it seems like most of the people are doing, temporary lockdown becomes good against them. It's good against Amalia combo. It's good against Convoke. It's good against so many different things that it just feels like that was a huge contributing factor to why Azorius did well this weekend. Yeah. And what's interesting about this and Again, I'm probably jumping the gun a little bit, but I think that the resurgence of Azorius control was likely a surprise to a number of people. Like, I think that I'm sure a lot of opponents were not expecting to see, what was it, like 11% control? It was 8.4% control. Yes, 11%, like I said. Day one. And then, well, day two was almost 12%. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, like, you know, even 9% is a lot, right? And so, like, you know, you're kind of hedging your bets. Like, well, maybe it's going to fall off after the removal of the combo decks. And then uh, people come with four temporary lockdowns and a pile of other removal and sweepers. And you're like, well, dang, this sucks. And I think, I think, but again, I, I think that this is something that people can, some people, I think, can at least strike back against. Like, you know, you have a few more enchantment removals for a temporary lockdown or something like that. And yeah, I think that. Thankfully, Pioneer is still a place where there's nothing's too ridiculously overpowered in terms of the technology that it can't be fought against. So this is the beginning, I think, of a interesting, you know, well, if people are going to pay attention to the format, you know, an interesting way of the meta sort of to begin a reset. Yeah. And I'm just going to get into like our next section here. So the big take, like we had a bunch of takeaways based on Frank Carson's study of win rates, talking about blue-white control in particular here. It was positive against you know, other than itself, six, five of the other six decks that it was seeing that were at the top of the meta game. So it was 55% against Rakdos Midrange, 68% against Amalia Combo, 66% against Boros Convoke, 62% against Rakdos Sacrifice, and 51% against Lotus Field Combo. That was a pretty small sample size in itself. The only of the top decks that Azorius Control was losing to was Is It Phoenix with a 39% win rate against. And I think that that's really all propped up by being able to run and have sweepers be pretty good and also have temporary lockdown be very good against, you know, four of those decks. It's good against Sacrifice, it's good against Convoke, it's good against Somalia, and it's good against Rakdos mid-range with a lower curve. Yeah, and basically none of these decks have incredible ways to get rid of them. Like, of course, there are ways to get rid of like temp- something like temporary lockdown at least, but, you know, is it have you lost so much at that point? And do you, can you do it fast enough that the opponent can not just counter magic it the next time they untap or something like that? So yeah, so that was good for a fifty nine point six percent overall win that's, rate, that's which is huge in a tournament this big. Almost sixty percent with the number of people that brought that deck is absurd. All right, next point from this. Why don't we go with the other winner for now, Amalia? Yeah, Amalia had a fifty six point seven percent win rate, and it was that's the second most played deck as it turned out. Yeah. I mean, and and here's the funny thing. We're not going to get into the nuances of this particular conversation online, but I bet you more people would have run it if they could have had all the cards in hand. Uh, I think people were, you know, there's some discourse on the internet about acquisition mm. issues uh, yeah. 
And but but, but even you know, even the the discourse aside, like people had about two weeks to select yes. a deck for this tournament because of the bans, and like it can be hard to just build a deck on such short notice, no matter how good the vendors are. Yes, I mean I'm thinking more about like I'm I'm thinking one. I think that there would have been more people on it, which means that like I think people were likely predicting that people were going to be on it and had tech against it or should have had tech against it, and it still pulled off like a nearly sick fifty seven percent win rate, which is surprising to me. Honestly, I thought it was going to be like. A 52% deck and be like, hey, here's a new option in Pioneer as opposed as opposed to like this may be the new Hogak. This is the new <laughs> not yeah. quite Hogak. That's uh that's that's convoke, my friend. Still this convoke. is okay. This is this is kind of the new potential check. Like, you know, this is sort of a potential removal check. It's a potential interaction check. Oh, the, the new mono green devotion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes, Christ. perfect. Here's what it feasted on though. It was 60% against Is it Phoenix. It was 81% against Convoke. <laughs> Amalia went 61 and 14 against Convoke in those matchups. And it was 62% against Lotus Field. Who knew gaining like 90 life was enough? Yeah. And then it's not even, it's not, that's not even all of its plus 50% matchups. It also won 53% of its games against Rakdos Midrange and won 52% of its games against Rakdos Sacrifice. The only deck out of this, this end of the spectrum that it won against or that it lost against was Azorius Control, which it had a 32% win rate against Azorius Control, as we kind of hinted to earlier when we were talking about Azorius. Yep. Deck's good. It's good. However, deck. bad against Blue White if people are playing a bunch of Blue White. Yeah. I think that people, like I, like I, I mentioned i think there's some options here like i wouldn't be surprised to see more of like that uh flash spirit that like uh blinks all your creatures out of the way what's that called Gar- guardian of faith yeah yeah that one got some guardian of faith stuff some enchantment removal stuff i wouldn't be surprised to see some options creep into the sideboard because all these sideboards from alia were like these very toolbox creaturey strategies and they were you know of course tuned i think to less of a azorius control meta so you tune a little bit the other way and you know shore that up a little bit and see what happens. Would you like to hear some of the other decks that it did that combo did well against just because I'm looking right now? Please. It did it had a 62% win rate against Gruel vehicles. It had a I'm reading the inverse right now. So it had a 73% <laughs> against Selesnia Angels. It had a 58% against Azorius Spirits. That was only 12 matches. It had an 81% win rate against Mono White Humans. Whew. It's brutal. It had a, a 73% win rate against Obzon Grease Fang. Yeah, I think a potential issue here, if you want to call it that, is like, will this push effectively every other creature deck somewhat out of the meta besides like Rack Mid or like a Rack Aggro or something like that? You know what I mean? Or it's just like, there's, it's almost like Thing in the Ice back in the, like the early Is It Phoenix days, right? Where it's like, what can I play into this board when it's going to get upheavaled? And similarly, it's like, what can I play into this board that's going to get Amalia destroyed? Right. So I guess we'll see. I, I didn't see what actually happened with a lot what like was there an absurd number of draws with this deck as we kind of like theorize that there might be it doesn't really look like there were no i I don't i think the fear was more about like not like draw draws like go to time draws i think it was more like intra match draws and i didn't hear any 
thing. Thankfully, I mean, I also try not to look at Magic Twitter, so I didn't hear any discourse related to that. But I think all of the kerfluffle early on where it was like, here's the official tournament rule set about what happens when you draw. And like, you know, if your opponent has removal, then this happens and blah, blah, blah. And like, I don't really think that ended up being anything that most people really had to care about. Yeah, it didn't look like it. Although, yeah, there's some people with some wild results. There's Michael Braverman on Is It Phoenix finishing 113th place, 8-3-3. Eight, three, and three. They were trying to ID into the top eight. And the end I feel there. like those are there's some IDs in there. Anyway, okay. Amalia was the other big one. Okay. Next thing from here becomes that perennial rogue deck, enigmatic fires, just beat the hell out of Rakdos. <laughs> That's what it does. That's what it does. And it did it again. Seventy nine percent win rate against Macdos Rid. Macdos Rid. Macdos Rid. How was how was the Azorius control matchup? For that, yeah, not you didn't good. already say, yeah, I, not I didn't, good. I didn't think so. I was just curious it, if it also had like a secretly good match against that too, or something. No, and I think in fact a lot of people sort of are have posited or hypothesized that part of the reason that Azorius Control actually did so well uh, is also because it does well against Fires and Amalia. And yeah, so it sure was does. sort of like those decks, uh, Fires and Amalia did well against everything else that wasn't Azorius, and then Azorius did well against those two, and so it kind of had an opportunity to rise its way up the ranks on day two. I mean, but, I don't know. Azorius control looked like it did really well against everything as ever is a Phoenix in this match, in this tournament. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> so I think it was just killing it. All right, so Enigmatic Fires is a, a deck to look at, except for the fact that it also is terrible against control. Uh, there's no aggro decks in this format is the next thing that I was looking yeah. at right now. Creatures the way that die. it looks right now, Creatures Die, Convoke, turned out to be really bad against every single one of the top decks. It was 45% against Rakdos Mid, 19% against Amalia, 50% against Phoenix, 34% against Control, and then it had a couple of reasonable matchups against Sac and Lotus. But Now, when we talk about aggro decks, you're specifically referring to like one drops and two drops that are turning sideways. Like Phoenix doesn't isn't aggressive enough for you because it's just a mid range Xerox deck. Yeah, I think it's more. Te- I think it's a tempo deck. <laughs> well, Stan, I don't think that's true, but you don't think so? Just like a, it's kind of like a spell board control deck, and then you get your playoffs out and you kind of attack with them later. Yeah, I just don't think that. I, I think that's more mid range than tempo, but that's a different episode, isn't it? Sure, um, sure. But you don't think is it Phoenix is aggro either, right? I I guess I always thought I thought it. But now maybe not, because you're not playing threats on turn one and two. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I was thinking back to you know the early days of like modern Phoenix, and I feel like it's playing really a lot like the best version of that deck that it could. Yes. But yeah. it's still nowhere near as explosive because of the lack of faithless looting. So, but in the environment of modern, in the pioneer, I agree with, I agree with Dave. No, I agree with you, Stan. Did you say it was mid-range or did you say it was aggressive? You said it was mid-range, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's way more of like a mid-range value deck where it's like, you know, you're, you're casting a a lightning axe and getting value out of it. Like, you know, the one mana five damage removal and then getting, getting something back out of it on the other side. And that's something that only Phoenix can really do well, so. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's like Death Shadow, so that's why I think of it as tempo. Yeah, but that's a good whatever. Point. I mean, it's 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 in that. I mean, Death Shadow is also like a tempo mid range deck, right? Where it's like you know I'm gonna get to my, get myself to a state where I kill you, and I think Phoenix is similar, right? Right. So anyway, Convoke was bad. There's no other aggro deck that really fits in there, and then Grease Fang was extremely bad. 
it was 30% against Rakdos mid, 27% against Amalia, 46% against Phoenix, and 26% against Control. It just wasn't good against any of the top four decks that people registered this weekend. And guess what? A whole bunch of the meta was just not good. Rakdos mid was below 50%. Gruul was below 50%. Raksak, Lotus, Convoke, Grixis Phoenix, Humans, and as I mentioned, Grease Fang, they were all below 50%. That was 43.5% of the day one meta that was all entirely below 50%. Also, most of these decks were the one, or not most of these, these decks are inclusive of the decks that mostly played Smuggler's Copter as well, and all of them were kind of below 50%. Yeah. I mean, Copter overall was just, it was weird to me, right? If if we're ready to move on to that, I think sure. like, you know, it's, it's, it's wild to me that like Goldfish had it as like the fifth most played card in the tournament, like it was in 24% of the decks, like a quarter of the field was playing some number of copter, but like it was really fairly narrow in its application, right? Like Rakdos mid in some amount, I think probably most Rakdos mid range decks were likely playing it. And then Raksak had some amount, Gruul vehicles, and then like Azorius spirits and, you know, rogue mono black decks. But like it wasn't in any potential homes that we talked about post unban like Convoke or Grease Fang or even like random potential decks like Humans or anything like that. Like like Copter was only in five decks of the top 32. And one of those was a mono black aggro deck. Let's go. And then only seven decks of the top 64. And so like those were like all Rakdos mid-range decks besides the black deck. And seven out of the top 64 is nothing like, it's not earth shattering, right? Like we're not blowing the doors off the tournament hall with like our copters buzzing around them this is this is a strange metaphor like i mean i think you know copter looks like a safe unbanned to me but like surprisingly like almost like a dull one like i guess reinventing Rakdos mid potentially is not that dull but it's not like it really moved the needle on the deck like i said before like it still looked like a 50 percent deck and gruel vehicles and Raksak were like just under 50 and like spirits who are players are using it were like 47 percent so overall it's like it's a total it's just it's like another card and not i think the powerhouse that it was when it was banned which is a good thing right potentially i mean i'm also saying that in an amalia environment right like if but these decks weren't playing it in the first place like it's not like humans was playing copter or something like that or grease fang was playing copter or convoke was playing copter and just stunk it's like they just were like this is not the home for this deck so right yeah i just feel like the format was so different when when copter was first banned too like aggro decks were good and here we are talking about how like none of the aggro decks were even 50 percent good yeah the the aggro decks were good and we had more broken tools at lower mana values so like you know we were playing like simic aggro with like oko and copter and stuff like that and you know just there were a lot of strategies i think that could use cards like that that had other like just good stuff and the, like you said it's just you know decks like control were nowhere near as good enigmatic fires was like not a thing so it was just it was like board state the format and copter could really take advantage of that in fact here here here's my fanning the flame if anything these copter versions of rakdos mid that are lowering their curve and sometimes increasing their threat count i think that's venturing more into tempo deck territory and like further away from mid-range deck territory because it's about these these lower threats that are doing more work for you, and then you're playing a lot of one-for-one cards that are kind of just like sacrificing card advantage in order to just slow down your opponent, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's totally true. I I also think that it had this weird side problem of making it more 
susceptible to blue-white control, like we talked about earlier. And so suddenly something that was maybe a reasonable matchup for Rakdos has kind of slid over to being <laughs> kind of not reasonable anymore. But isn't isn't control historically good against midrange in, in the paper, scissors, rocks of magic archetypes? You know, I, I think that that's the way people talk about it all the time, but I think that aggro is the thing that's supposed to be good against control, right? Well, that's that's what I'm saying. Control is good against midrange, and aggro is good against control. But we don't have any good aggro deck. Right, so it's just falling apart. Yeah. I think it made it worse. By trying to make Rakdos more aggressive slightly, it made it worse a bit against control for just because of the unique removal suite that's available to control right now. Mm. You know, mm. It's the Wandering Emperor's fault and the fairies. I think it's temporary lockdown's fault, is what I mean. Oh, that too. I mean, who knew that slowly adding pieces to a control deck would, you know, eventually make it okay? I mean, there have been plenty of moments where blue-white control has been not good and pioneer for random reasons, and so I'm not going to get like too upset about what's going on right now. I I am. I don't. I don't want. I don't want to have a reason to play against like blue-white control at the LGS, but I guess I can just scoop early if I want to. I mean, as soon as they show you Yorian, just head out for a drink. I'm going to get some empanadas next door. That's it. What do we think about this meta? So so I want to ask a quick question about like how so many of the decks are below 50%. In when you look at a, any average tournament, do you have to have like a clear divide of like some decks are below 50, some decks are above 50 or can you have disproportionate numbers where, you know, maybe like at least 60% of the field is below 50% win rate because you have an overrepresentation of something like control in this instance that is good against everything. So you have one or two archetypes that are kind of like absorbing the positive win rate from everybody else. Yeah, for for the first thought you were asking if we could bend the rules of math about there can, can there be more players at below 50 than above 50 and no we cannot but uh i think i think that's exactly what we see happen i think in most tournaments i think modern pioneer uh is that if there's usually like a few things that are kind of above 50 and then kind of the and they, they might be the most uh, known and, and powerful decks, right? Where it's like scams 54%, 56%, and it's like 20% of the room. Or Amalia and Azorius Control are like, what, like 25% together-ish, and they're at like 57 to 62%, right? And those can really suck a lot of air out of the, the win rates of the room, like I think you like you uh, insinuated, right? So, so like, it, is, is there anything that we can extrapolate about format health or maybe just like format identity based on the fact that like a lot of these decks like is it the fact that a lot of these decks aren't actually that good or is it the fact that in this one tournament azuri's control was so good that it made everything else look worse than it really is yeah i think people better prepare for azuri's control in whatever way they can i don't truly know what that is right? Like, I don't know how you prepare against control decks particularly well. Uh, I mean, you can't, it's it's hard because you can't lower your curve into this because you'll just get, get eaten up by like Amalia, right? Like you can't play like an a, aggressive creature deck into Amalia very well. Uh, and so that's going to be tough. I think like... It was also very good against the good aggressive creature deck. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's interesting too, right? And it's like, if it's not killing you fast enough, having a three mana sweeper is a lot, right? Like if, if you're saying like, I'm going to play one and two mana creatures and try to convoke you out and that gets cleaned up 
pretty reliably with temporary lockdown, perhaps, or other other types of tools. If you can't get them dead on turn three or turn four, then and then you're also facing up against like Amalia decks, like I mentioned. It's like you know, what do you what do you what are you meant to do there? And so there were very few decks that were above fifty percent against Azorius Control. Would you like to hear what they were, please? Yes. Out of curiosity, what are we gonna say? No. Well, yeah, say no. Uh, Boris Heroic went four and three. Against Ooh, Azorius Control. Sample size. Not a great sample size. Uh, is it Phoenix? Went 55 and 34 for 62% win rate. And then the other one is Azorius Spirits. Actually was above 50% against Azorius Control, again, with a 6 and 5 record. So a very small sample size as well. But I do think that one thing that's weird about those decks is like, actually, I, I, I'm, I mean, Phoenix, obviously, it's running on a whole different axis as far as like being able to assert itself, like we talked about earlier. Boros Heroic and Azorius Spirits, like, I guess Spirits can be able to spell queller supreme verdict or temporary lockdown and be able to get around that somewhat in time with a big enough threats to be able to kill people and then burrows heroic maybe it's able to run god's willing and some of the other kind of disruption effects that help it could help it stay online against that it said i feel like that one's probably not a real sample size but i mean every single deck on the list against notorious control other than really is it phoenix uh was sub 50 percent does this format look better post bans like, are we more interested in a format where instead of worrying about mono green devotion, let's even take geological appraiser out of the conversation. Let's assume that never happened and the bannings really just shut down mono green above all else. And now we have like control Amalia, Phoenix, and Rakdos as kind of like these four principal decks. And maybe like you can add Lotus combos. This other really popular combo strategy that isn't as popular because. Maybe it's tough to play or unfun. Is that an interesting format to you? Does any part of you like miss what Mono Green Devotion brought to the table? No. <laughs> I don't know if I miss what Mono Green Devotion brought to the table, but the combination of you know the the Mono Green Devotion getting nerfed and Amalia's rise to prominence and like as much as I am hyped to play Amalia, like I'm actually like at the, at the worst time probably ever. I'm like, man, I want to go to the LGS like pioneer nights and just like have some fun. But I do have concerns. The more we've talked about it, that Amalia might apply some kind of pressures to the overall meta that are going to make it a smaller format. And that's not necessarily worse, right? It's not necessarily worse to have a smaller format. And in fact, it might make it more like standard where it's like, hey, like I'm really tuning things for like my expected meta. I want to have the right sideboard tools. I'm going to have my matchups really on lockdown. And that can be perfectly fun, right? I've, I mean, I've, I've, when I've enjoyed standard, it's been my consideration. But uh, for a format like Pioneer, shrinking it can be dangerous because of the power levels that we have versus standard. And so it will make certain things perhaps unable to be attacked as well. When you have like maybe let's just look at let's just call Amalia and Control right now like the, the twin towers of the format, and they uh, oppress things in slightly different ways. And maybe they're oppressing things. And by twin towers, I'm referring to like the the wrestlers. Um, I'm trying to uh-huh. remember who they were. Not 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 the buildings that fell. Yeah, I yeah. Forget. Shane, I'm I'm never going to forget that analogy. <laughs> but you, I mean, I guess you see where I'm going, right? Which is just like you know, I I'm, barely. I have concern about Amalia applying significant amounts of pressure on on ways that people are able to attack other decks. But we'll see how realistic that is as people now have to respect Amalia even more than they did before. 
Yeah. yeah, Amalia is such an interesting story because I think people sort of expected it to be a victim of its own success, that this creature combo deck strategy would should be easy to hate out and probably even soft in a field full of Phoenix, which everyone knew Phoenix would be popular. And it just kind of proved everyone wrong with its resilience. And that sort of, I think, indicated to us in this one tournament that apart from what control brings to the table, which I think is a lot of baked in exile effects, basic on your face removal is not how to fight Amalia combo. Like, you need to have a plan to actually attack their graveyard as much as you need to have a plan to attack their board. Yeah, I just think we don't know what's happening yet. Like, that's the bottom line, really. And I think it's telling you what's happening. Yeah. It's just the the beginning. I mean, I I think that that's something people will try. Yeah, I just think that it's like, okay, as people realize it's a control-centric moment right now, like, what's going to happen to try to combat that? I think there's just a lot that could happen still. So I don't miss mono green in that sense just because it's like mono green was there for a long time and it was maybe keeping some some of this like the way the meta is evolving now from happening so so yeah. i think we should move on yeah inter- interesting interesting tournament um pioneer i think is reinventing itself at perhaps the worst time for eyes to be on it but i think you know the true heads will still keep playing it and it's honestly the format i'm most interested in playing right now <laughs> so we'll see if i actually do it but dave what do we have next let's take a short break and we'll be right back with a fun wind down uh, after that unbelievable hour of content on on pioneer stay with us <laughs> What's your New Year's resolution, Stan? To smell better, David. I had a feeling. How are you going to accomplish that, though? You know what? First thing I'm going to do, I'm going to make this cherry cardamom cookie recipe that is listed on Bear Stern Man's blog. And first, I'm going to make the house smell good. Yeah. Start with your house and work your way to your insides. I love it. That's right. And, and then once I've decided that the house smells good, then I'm going to use some of this Dickens revisited fragrance on different parts of my body. Oh, it's a remastered set. Mm-hmm. Does that mean it's twelve ninety nine a pack, or <laughs> well, as in fact, Dave, it's twenty four ninety nine for a tub of shaving soap, and I'm sure other products. I, I like that this it needed a rework. Dickens needed an update. Mm-hmm. They rework that cherry. We had to rework the Dickens a little. Stance, tell me about Dickens, because I think you, I think you were, were eyeballing it. You know, it is in fact patterned after one of Will from Barrister Man, his favorite cookies, and it contains notes of cherry, black pepper nutmeg, cardamom, our old friend, and lemon in a very spicy, merry, festive scent. Perfect for a shave before fighting hordes of shoppers or opening presents on Christmas Day, Boxing Day, or whatever holiday you're enjoying this December. Amazing. Well, Stan, thank you so much for coming to your Smell Review 2023. I look forward to seeing improved performance in 2024. And if you would like to have improved smell performance in 2024, please go to barristerandman.com. Use code THEDIVEDOWN23, spelled out. That's only going to be around for a little bit longer to get 15% off your first order. Stan, I had one last question. What does Cardamon evolve to in his stage two <laughs> evolution? Cardamma roll. All right, we're back. It's the it's the end of the year. We don't we used to do wind downs many episodes and like do random mm. stuff at the end of these. And uh here we are. We, we we're fitting one in for all of 2023, I think. So, in anticipation of this segment, I thought it would have been fun to do something called like 2023 a year of discourse and try to recap like 
as much of the Twitter drama of 2023 as possible. It was a Herculean and thus impossible (laughs) task that I did. You did you actually start trying to list things out? Yeah, after about like 20 minutes, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. No, it's not, it's not worth the effort. You didn't get even get out of the first two weeks of January 2023. That's right. That's right. It was just like too many tweets to uncover, too many like disparate podcast episodes to try to hunt down and like listen to when they don't have timestamps. Stan, will you, you want to tell me what your your favorite what, what was your favorite part of magic this year? If you have like one or two or like me like six. Yeah, I mean like for me it's it's pretty much all limited to my competitive performance and highlights therein. So when you did well you you that was your favorite. Weird. Weird. I top aided a couple RCQs in that Modern is, and sick. Pioneer. That's fun. That's um, amazing. There was also, you know, the first half of the year, I barely played any paper magic whatsoever. I just like did not have the bandwidth or the time and or, or the means to like bounce around little hamlets in Northern England to like compete with those strangers. With the round doors yeah. and the hairy feet. But then you got a bike. Right. And then you could bike around on all the country roads. That's right. But take them um, home. I, I can't at this point, I don't remember what month it was, but it was during Pioneer RCQ season. And I made arrangements to go to play like a modern win a box. So it was Comp Ariel, but you know, the stakes are just like better than pity packs or whatever. Um, it was my first time playing Paper Modern in a year. It had been what felt like at least six months since I've basically played any modern whatsoever. Um, and I top eight of that. And there was like this cool moment of like, I still got it. Um, and that kind of actually got me back into the momentum of hitting up RCQs and like chasing the dream a little bit. So that was nice that in what was ultimately a kind of like a, a, a year of many changes for me in my private life, because I, moved continents um <laughs> magic didn't necessarily like suffer and 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 in some cases was still there for me as like a really important hobby and outlet and um way to kind of have fun and, and connect with people while still making myself proud every once in a while yeah sometimes playing magic can be fun mm-hmm. I-, I thought it was a pretty good year of like modern and pioneer in the end like, I, mean, I thought there was a lot of stuff that happened this year. Like, you know, just in terms of the game overall, like the stuff we got to cover was pretty fun, I thought. Like, we had like, I still remember like the early hype around like Tyvar and like that had a lot of experimentation behind it for a little while. And then like nothing really panned out. But like, you know, I, I, I played a Golgari sack deck at Pioneer LGS night. It was fun. Like, you know, we had some big shifts in modern with like Lord of the Rings. We had to talk about the one ring for like three episodes in a row. We had a really good modern PT. I thought like that was my favorite part of the year. I thought like that modern PT was was really well covered, really enjoyable matchups. Yeah, I, I would probably agree with you, Shane, that that I think that the whole Lord of the Ring cycle playing with those cards for the first time going into the Pro Tour was probably my favorite part of magic over the last 12 months for me as well kind of just bottom line yeah i mean we we had modern bands we had some pioneer stuff happen just like last week like i thought you know it was a good, i thought it was a good year like you know the modern pt for me too like i was you know hanging out with Doomwake on a stream we were like you know co-commentating it like that's the kind of stuff that i think is is fun you know it's just fun to like have a good community event and have something we could discourse about for a few weeks afterwards and make people think Tron was good again, stuff like that. 
You know, I I didn't mention that just occurred to me while you were talking. This was the year I learned to love Pioneer. You did have a a thaw in your Pioneer love attitude, your Pioneer attitude earlier this year. It's true. Yeah. Found some decks that I like to play and realized that the format can be interesting and engaging. David, any other like personal moments within MTG this year that you look back on fondly? I mean, cards you were excited about? Who's your Tyvar? I mean, I like playing with scam. I don't. I don't care. I like playing with scam and rare in a uh, modern for a good amount of the year. I got a five zero with it, even though it was in a friendly league. That was pretty fun for me. I liked it. I think I liked. Fr- I like friendly leagues. Those cards. Good thing to be. Uh, they were at it back this year, right? They were. That's a pretty good thing for me too. Honestly, is that I. I do feel like they're a little bit more my speed as far as gameplay goes, and I feel a lot more competitive there, and I'm <laughs> fine with that. Yeah. So. Those are all good things. Mm. I have a I have a nomination. Yeah, of, for a different category. Yeah, best best new host of the year. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm, I just want to. I just want to give a shout out to Devin O'Donnell, aka Doomwake, who's not here because he's under the weather. He was going to be on. Yeah, it's unfortunate that he couldn't join us after his long weekend in Atlanta. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just I just don't really know how we would have made it through the year without Devin. But not only just making it through is like I think like it's great to have a, a fourth voice on the podcast of someone who's engaged in magic, you know, much more than we can be and you know made a bumpy schedule work, but I think also is 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 someone who f- meshes with us enough that like I look forward to to working with him on a you know regular basis. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people don't know this about podcasting is that like to be a good podcast, you have you have to have diversity in the frequency range of everyone's voices. <laughs> That's like, where you're coming at. We, yes. we had this gap in like a certain mega megahertz yeah, section. That, sure, that works. And Devin just like nailed it. It's perfect. Yeah. I mean, I, I do want to echo what you said though, Shane. I, I also am not sure we would have made it through this year without Devin being such a big part of the team, realistically bringing an extra new perspective, but also just, you know, things got busy for us, each of us in different times and different ways. And he was always excited to to participate and join in. And so, yeah, definitely. I'm glad that, you know, I randomly played him in a sealed, <laughs> in a sealed event in the Atlanta RC last year and talked to him afterwards. And he was interested in coming on because it's been a, it's been a really good addition to the show, I think. Yeah. Here, here. Hof- hopefully all y'all out there like the perspective as well. Did you guys have any favorite episodes from this year, either as a listener or as a comment creator? I mean, I'm a comment and a content creator. My, my comment here is uh, I like the modern history episode actually because mm-hmm. it is you know I don't I've never done anything like that I've never, basically it was just like a short research project on like modern and a lot of stuff before I came back in cons era and so it was it was nice to make an episode that you know Will is someone that we've worked with a lot we've engaged with a lot he's a longtime patron and sponsor of the podcast so it was cool to make an episode that uh, he appreciated and I, I think it was just it was fun to do and, and talk through with you guys how about you buddy uh, I'm not your buddy guy but um, a couple that stood out to me were uh the episode we did with Ryan Spain about Magic Online with yeah with, without you know me. under the Daybreak Helm yeah just a reiteration if if you miss that episode like Ryan was one of the first people that I listened to that was a Magic podcaster one of the first podcasts that I really got into was limited resources with him and Marshall and so getting to talk with him was like literally a dream that I had had since I was a young man of 
30. But it's true. Like that, that's around, I mean, it's been 10 years or so that I would have loved to have talked with Ryan Spain. And so to get to talk with him was great. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I thought he was really generous with his insights on like what it's like working on magic online, what, what the technology is like. And, you know, he gave us a glimpse behind the scenes and I thought that was um, really exciting and um, an opportunity that I don't know that we would have had if not for the dive down. Yeah, that's really what I was going to say to Stan is like the the opportunities that even doing our, you know, mid-level Magic the Gathering podcast affords us in terms of people to talk to, who, people who are willing to give us their time just to talk to us is is always surprising and generous and I think gives our listeners the opportunity to hear perspectives they wouldn't otherwise. So I'm, I'm always glad. Uh, thank you, Ryan, and, and every guest we've had on the pod this year. For what it's worth, one of my favorite episodes was talking about, this is a weird one, but talking about the Pioneer Pro Tour in Philly with Devin. Uh, it was an episode that was just me and him, and it, I think it was one of the first times that it was just me and him talking through something. And it was one where I got to put a little bit of time into trying to do the like way that I like to structure an episode, which is like 10, 10 headlines about something, like don't go through just the meta, that kind of thing. Uh, that one kind of stands out for me. It's something I try to do whenever we write episodes now. David, I remember that episode. I remember that was the episode where you, one of your headlines, if not the first headline, was Bone Crusher Giant is the best card in the format. And if you're in red, you need to be playing it. Um, it was actually Fable that I said was the best card mm, in the format. Fable. But okay. yes. Yeah, Dave, I, I want to, that makes me think I wanted to say too on this topic is I think that you actually, um, in particular, not to say anything against Stan or myself, is I think you got a lot better at content, I think, this year. Like, I think you made us think about things, especially me, because I'm, I, I think about things the same way a lot, right? Which is just like, I kind of will do the same episodes just with different content. And you ask questions that, you know, I think are really good ones and, and have us think about and talk about stuff in ways that are, pushes it to a better place. Well, I appreciate that. I'm just trying to make you all better. I'm just trying to make you better. Also, we did have some interesting stuff happen on YouTube this year. And I know that last episode, I asked for people, to, two people, I asked for two people to follow us on YouTube and we got 115 people to follow us. And so I really want to appreciate, uh, say thanks everybody. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoy the Lexus ads or whatever <laughs> I'm playing on YouTube right now. Um, you know, we'll see, we might turn that monetization stuff back off if it turns out to be kind of a pain, but that kind of stuff. And Shane, you know, I, I am starting to dip into content creation in my job as much as I can. And so being able to bring some perspective from what I've learned from the show has actually been really valuable. It's part of the reason that we tried video content. I found that very valuable and I've been able to apply those lessons to thing to things and client engagements that I have in my real life. Uh, same thing with wanting to try to get into the YouTube partner tools is I just want to be able to know and have that perspective. And so uh, hopefully it's not too annoying to people for now and we'll, we'll see where it goes. Dave, can you do another call to action? Like, you know, join join Patreon, buy a t-shirt. To get a hundred extra people. We just need two more patrons to be able to get to <laughs> unlock something. Since we only needed two YouTube subs, but we got over 100, like 98 of you could now actually unsubscribe. And <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate be, that. Okay. No problem. I have a favorite thing about the dive down this year. I think oh, yeah. the moment I laughed the hardest as a listener was on episode 240, Woe Betides Modern and Pioneer. When it was during the cold open, you guys were talking about fantasy football with Devin, and Shane said... 
Hey, Block O'Neill, too bad your butt got sacked. Nothing like just referencing like a 20 plus year old internet video to make your friends laugh easily. That's one of the legs of the three legged stool that is the dive down. <laughs> um, no, thanks, Dan. Um, some, you know, sometimes it just comes to you. The, let's talk about the card of the year. Let's, let's get back to brass tacks. Let's talk about magic again. Do you, do you think there's like a card of the year? I'm going to start with you, Dave, because I know, I think I know what stands is. And I know mine. I'm just going to say my favorite card of the year. I'm not going to worry about the best. Yeah, I'm not sure. going to be objective about it. I think my favorite card of the year is Orcish Bowmasters. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah, it's a, it's a card that I cool. thought was cool when I read it. It turned out to be as good or better than I thought it was going to be. It went in the deck that I liked playing already. And so, uh, yeah, I like it. Orcish Bowmasters, Dave's card of the year 2023. It's not a bad pick. Stanislav. Yeah, Bowmaster was on my list of nominees. My, my full list of nominees was Bowmasters, The One Ring, Agatha Soul Cauldron, Elish Norn, Attracts a Grand Unifier, and cheating a little bit, but I actually put Shieldred on the list, even though Shieldred was released last year, technically. Yeah, yeah September yeah. of last year. And yet, I feel like this year was a big one for her, where she just every month just continued to prove how important she was in more and more formats. And, uh, I thought that was kind of impressive that like she probably had the biggest glow up of, of any other card in 2023. So maybe she'll I'm with you. Maybe Shieldred's like my backdoor card of the year. Yeah, um, her, her staying power is really impressive, like financially and, uh, and power level. Right. I mean, I know like a lot, a lot of cards last more than, you know, 15 months and are still good, but uh Shieldred, I think is come on stronger. Like you said, Stan and found more homes. Where are you at, Shane? I think bef- before Beans, I think it was a shoe in for the One Ring, but then Beans like threw a weird like bean shaped wrench uh, into the One Ring's mechanisms. Uh, but I-, I think I have to give it to Grief because of like a combination of like power level, the staying power of kind of scam, and then all of the discussion that surrounded it. It was just kind of like the talk of modern which is basically magic for us this year. And like, we still have it in the format. Like it didn't get banned. It won a huge, I mean, it was part of the deck that won a huge paper tournament like two weeks ago. Like, I think it's still something that's going to have an impact on the format and be a a card that people have their eyes on. That's funny, Shane, because, you know, our next section, what's a card we would revoke from existence? Grief is actually still up there for me. Even though I probably think the one ring is the objectively correct answer. Grief hurts me more than the one ring ever has and full disclosure when i arrived to my parents house a couple days ago there was an envelope waiting for me with four copies of a full art grief that i got after it was not banned and yet and yet i say get it out of here still you upgraded those nice normal art griefs i i sold to you months ago yes (laughs) good I sold wait, those. You, you I, sold I them when you thought they were going to get banned. That's right. Yeah. I, I sold them in anticipation. Uh, Shane, to quote you, arbitrage, my friend. Arbitrage. Arbitrage, baby. I don't know if that's actually arbitrage or not, but it's perfectly good. Is there anything you guys would revoke out of existence? Or are you feeling good? Uh, uh, I don't know. You guys aren't going to like my answer. You're not going to like my answer. What is it? Violent outburst. What? It's time, baby. It, it might it's be. time. It might be. It's time. It puts weird constraints on things, but get out of here. Get rid of that. Leave Shardless Agent. I'm fine with that. Dave, if you're going to say something so painful and, and you know is personal, can you explain yourself? What did, what, why has Violent Outburst been problematic to you? 
I hate cascade decks. I just, I, I don't mind the play patterns of them. Like, I don't think they're bad decks in themselves, but I've always hated the fact that the way they work is the way they work. Like, it's not, it's not a particularly thinking Rhinos is Orb of Living End is like an awfully too powerful deck. I just don't like cascade as a mechanic. Well, I'm sorry, but they made it. So now we get to play with it. I That's fine. I, that's fine. But I'm just saying, if I get to pick one, that's what I'm picking. No, well, you can't pick that one. Okay. You want me to pick something? To, okay, I'll pick Shardless Agent. Bro. <laughs> wow. WT, mate. Sorry, I've become I've become the uh, I've become the villain. I guess it's just l- let cards be good. Let me have one. I've I've already lost Fury. Yeah, they're finally about I, to I give us a full art Rhino. You know, it's like I'm this yeah. much closer to it being fully full art non foil Rhino deck. God. It's a beautiful thing. Can't wait for that Rhino. I just don't like a Cascade deck, uh, and I'm I I'm gonna storm off. Okay. Can I revoke you from magic? (laughs) Probably. Dave, from now on, when you make comments like that, you have to include in parentheses how many comp REL events you've played. (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right, let's move on. Do okay. do we want to talk about some non-magic stuff, or do we want to talk about how we feel about magic? Like, what do you guys want to uh, do? I got enough. I mean, well, this I is enough know. magic stuff, right? It's enough magic. I mean, ma- magic, magic's magic still exactly what it needs to be for everybody. That's a good thing about magic, right? A cash cow. Yes. Yeah. yeah perfect. Do 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 we talk about the podcast? Are we going to reiterate the fact that we're going to have some kind of party in Chicago in February? You yeah. guys want to promote so that here somewhere? Till we get there. Soon. We're going to have to have some details soon for people, I know. And we don't expect a lot of people to show up to this, but it it is going to be like a little five-year anniversary of the dive down here in Chicago. We'll figure something out. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll get a space. We'll just go there. And, well, Friday's the party. Saturday, I mean, Friday's the, the after party. Saturday can be the we're going here, show up if you want to type thing. Yeah. Perfect. Ka- is Kaiser so, Tiger still open? Yes, we could maybe go to Kaiser Tiger. That could work. Keep your Saturdays open, friends. Yeah. Sh- should we Should we take everyone to Au Cheval? Yes. Yeah, perfect. I, I only do small Cheval with people from out of town. All right, non-MTG. Let's get in the actual fun stuff, because we're, we're, like we're like, what, an hour 35-ish? We are deep in this, deeper in this episode than I thought we would be, but of course. <laughs> yeah, right. Of course. Stan, you, I think you, did you pick all these categories, Stanislav? No. I oh, did. Is this, this is David. David, walk us through this. It seems like you wanted to talk about some media. I just wanted to have fun with media because that's one of the best things about the dive down discord actually it's one of the best and worst things but i i also i do <laughs> like this off topic area yeah but i like learning about what other people like i have discovered some cool things from what people talked about in the dive down discord so i thought it would be fun for us to just share with some people stuff that we've enjoyed this year that's not magic related you can turn off your podcast now we don't put this at the front of the podcast so you have to sit through it wondering when we're going to talk about pioneer just turn it off now if you don't care what album i liked then why are you listening to us if you don't want to hear us talk about stuff yeah all right so let's talk about music first we can keep it fast. You got an, what's, what, what is an album that you really liked this year, Stan? What helped you get through? Uh, Homecoming by Dablon. Mm-hmm. It's, it's from 2021. It's not a new album, but it's a, it, it was an artist that was new to me. And uh, I just got into her work in a big way. And Homecoming was like the album that really solidified my appreciation of her. And just I've, I've not gotten tired of it since after like six months of just listening to it a ton that's awesome shane nothing any album that you've added to rotation you said you made a joke here in the notes that you're old and only listen to old things but that's fine yeah i mean i it's funny like i'm sort of making more of an effort to i did two things i I listened to like 30 albums and mostly eps 
from this electronic label from the late 90s to i think they went pretty far deep is it fax it is fax is really good but it is a uh, more more music m-o-r-r mm. and sure. i basically i was just i'm gonna listen to everything they did in chronological order and i found some stuff that wasn't as good as i remember and some stuff that was better than i remember it's all like kind of melodic electronic idm-ish type stuff and then I went deeper in the archives of stuff I'd never listened to where I was like, I'm in my 40s. It's time to get into like the 80s indie stuff that I didn't listen to. And so I've been trying to like explore that more and like find the the weird good stuff. I think the album this year that I liked the most was probably the new Slow Dive. I think that, that was quite a good album. I think that was that was very strong. The first like half of that album is exceptionally good. I think. Yeah, it's strong. How about you, bud? You say, I think, feel like I feel like what you didn't say, but you meant what you really meant is that the kids are keeping you young in our Discord. <laughs> I mean, kind of, but also I've just been trying to look around at other stuff too. Um, I did notice a bunch of people on Twitter, including like Brian Gottlieb. And also um, a couple other people talking about Sleep Token. And I was like, what a weird name. I'm gonna So Magic listen- Twitter's not all bad. I'm going to listen to Sleep Token. And I, I do like that record a lot. I think it's very weird and interesting. Uh, it's basically like heavy metal Coldplay, I think. And I hope nobody hates that take with it. Uh, I like... I very I really like half of that record, and I think half of it is actually actively not good, but the part that's good is really good. In a different direction, because I really like guitar bands, I like this album called Cartwheel by this band Hotline TNT that I discovered about six weeks ago. Hey, you it's told like, us to listen to. I haven't listened to it yet, I admit. It's like a 30-minute long shoegaze, kind of 10 tracks, really kind of tight poppy version of hum or slow dive but a little bit fuzzy a little bit harder to follow even than slow dive less electronica more rock uh but i love this record it's got some really good like memorable hooks i think it's really good i did listen to that i think we talked about it yeah our channel yeah short and to the point okay hotline tnt do you, have a, do you have a favorite single of the year? Uh, one of the favorite singles that I found recently, I've been listening to this band Wednesday a lot lately uh, that I kind of discovered via some of Stan's friends, actually, that I was cubing with. And they have this single called Chosen to Z- Deserve that I think is a really good, catchy, alt-rock, kind of alt-rock trash bag kind of vibe, but it's a very good album, or good album, but also a really good song. So that's what I have as my song that I like. Mm. Wednesday. Is it in the Adams Family Cinematic Universe? Uh, that, it should that be. a popular Netflix TV show? Yeah, it does the dance. That's what she's dancing to? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I um, m- Mine is from this like Welsh band that I just stumbled upon called Panic Shack. And it's just like these three, maybe it's four girls, but they have like Farrah Fawcett hair. But they're contemporary punk rockers it's called The Ick. And I, I actually think I listened to it 150 times in like the course of a week on repeat. Whoa. It's one of those. I'm going to have to check it out for sure. A hundred, a hundred times through a song is, is a lot. So I want to hear it. I've got nothing here. Stanislav, you and me are movie boys. I feel like yes. Dave is, Dave is not quite the movie boy. No. And I love reminding it, him of that. Yes. We're always like, Dave, you hate movies. You can't critique them. You hate them. Daniel Lane. They, they all start with a negative with me. <laughs> <laughs> I would but revoke existence movies. That's, that's one thing I got back into movies a lot this year and I didn't go to the, like the cinema that much i know that you're a big movies in the movie theater type person which i appreciate i just don't do it but i I started cataloging what i've watched and i kind of the second half of the year has just been a couple a week and i think i'm i think like if i total them i'm probably somewhere like at 60 to 65 this year which is you know enough that's that's enough for 
most people, I'd say. And for me, you made this category, so I'm going to answer it for, first for you, is The Exorcist was basically one of the most eye-opening movie experiences of my life. I I knew of it, right? Like, of course, everyone knows, like, the concept of The Exorcist, but, like, the fact that it's a completely phenomenal movie that I just can't believe was ever made in, like, the manner that it was made. And it's just like the performances are so natural and the dialogue is so natural and like the themes of the movie are interesting and like the effects are interesting. And I think it's, it's like a just, you know, top, top 25 movie, which is saying something. Like, I think it's just like perfect. It's just a perfect movie. Are you a horror guy in general? No, I don't like horror. Like I yeah. actually tried, I'd watched more horror this year than I had before. Like I think maybe... Maybe starting, I think, I know we watched like Halloween this year. We watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, you know, some of the classics, I guess if you call Alien a horror movie, like I think Alien's like a top 25 movie, Alien. Um, but no, I'm not a big horror guy. And, and I think that's why I find The Exorcist so interesting is like, I don't think, I don't really consider it a horror movie. I consider it like a good drama that just has horror elements, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, so for our, for our movie podcast, we'll talk about The Exorcist first. I, I, well, I can't wait to start that. It, right? It, I can't wait for this podcast to end. Can, it. can we just have a Can we just have a pop culture podcast where we just share things we like? Fifteen minutes at a crack. That's it's it. That time. Did you watch it? Because Friedkin died this year. Or no? no. Just like, it was just on my list of stuff I need to watch around Halloween. Yeah. You know, just like I need to finally do this, and it was well worth it. According to my diary, I've seen one hundred and fifteen this year so it's so My difficult man. to pick one but you know I, I saw Oppenheimer in theaters twice and the fact that I just like kept going back and to see it on larger and larger screens I think that probably is speaking for something I was also pretty taken with Flower Moon like that made me experience something I hadn't experienced in, in a cinema in a really really long time so I guess big ups there yeah, I've got I've got thoughts on it, but I think I'm, I'm glad it was made. I'm glad it was made. Love, love. All right, let's move on to TV. I yeah, literally so, let's talk about TV. Let's talk about let's talk about the Nor- the Dave's stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, we have. I actually think we have more overlap here than any other section. I think that's true, which is interesting. All right, Shane, why don't you go first? TV. What What do you love when you watch TV? Season of Top Chef was really good, like early 2023. I watched most of Seinfeld this year. It's way different, way funnier as an adult than I, when I was like 16. Last of Us was probably the best possible version of that show they could have made. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Poker Face was pretty good. It was just fun. It's like a fun lark of a show. It's like Columbo-esque. I thought like you would like that one, Dave. Although or before the show, you said it was just okay. Um, well, I mean, I, I think the mysteries were just okay, but I loved the vibe and I loved Natasha Leone in it. And the fact that they were so self-consciously ripping off Columbo, which is like one of my favorite things in the world, was yes. fascinating to me because <laughs> like even the titles are literally the titles from Columbo. Same color yellow, same typeface. Yeah, they're like, beautiful. It's exactly Columbo. And Natasha Leone is not really doing Peter Falk, but she is doing Columbo. <laughs> yeah. Like her mm. vocal delivery of every line is basically Columbo, which is great. It's just the mysteries were not quite as good mm. as like the old 70s ones. But, you know, I think the the vibe was very good. Yeah, it's funny how much I do, don't think the Glass Onion movies are very good at all, but I think that, you know, Poker Face is, is, is quite good. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm going to go with a conventional pick here. Uh, I really love the bear season two. I know that we've maybe forgotten about it or maybe just no, we have like, not. moved on or we don't want to talk about it because everybody was talking about it when it was on. But that's one of the best. The bear in general is just one of the best things I've ever seen on television. And so it is what it is. I know that people have problems with how anxious it makes them to watch it. But uh, I love it. I love it in the same way that I love the movie Whiplash. And because I have fantasies, I guess, about how my life or my creative life relates to some of the things that the people in those sh- properties went through. Uh, but uh, that's for another another story, another time. But yeah, The Bear Season 2 is one of my favorite things this year, for sure. That's a really, really good pick. I, I feel the exact same way. Mine is the discovery of Australian Survivor. Because when we moved to England, we couldn't find American Survivor. And we got Paramount Plus in hopes of watching American Survivor. Could get that VPN, baby. You know, we're big probes. Nor get at us. And uh, yet it wasn't there, but it had Survivor Australia. And it's like fantastic. It's basically just as good. Um, yeah. And the, and the host... It's he's not probed, David something or other. But even though he's not probed, he's like a a good facsimile of probed in an authentic way. So that he's not trying to do a probed, but he has enough overlap in his vibe and energy and personality that you appreciate him as like the host and the game master in the way that you know I do for Jeff Probst and American Survivor. And yeah, it, it kind of like kept us going throughout the year in, in a really nice way. Cause then we just started going back for older survivor Australia seasons, the way you yeah. very well can do with, with OG survivor too, which I think is what makes it kind of special as far as like that class of reality game shows is. And I've started to do that because you were, I knew that you and your, your wife were into survivor and my wife got into survivor because of her, her brother. And so we started watching it a couple of seasons ago and was like, I'm super into it now, especially season 44 and 45. 45 is the one that's just about to end right now, but 44 is an extremely good season. 44 has been a little more, or 45 has been a little more uneven, but it's still good. But yeah, we're in like a Survivor Fantasy League now. It's the, We send our kids to bed early so we can watch Survivor on antenna on wednesday nights so we don't have to wait for the streaming version it's pretty uh it's pretty we're it's pretty going on over here can i join your fantasy league next for 46 i if i can't get you in it it is tightly regulated i have some people lining up to get to start another fantasy league with us and maybe a few other people so yes okay we will find a way to make it happen you know who we can also ask is dominic harvey he's also a survivor head is he really i think he might actually have a second survivor podcast or something dom like harvey does too maybe it's not That's funny maybe it's not a podcast maybe it's a separate survivor twitter account he's really into survivor as well well so is ethan Sachs of lords of limited yes he, yeah he's the one who has the podcast actually he has a podcast that i really like called that's how you do it it's oh the, are we that's talking other podcasts pod. now Yes, we will, because I'm transitioning right over to it. But I really have enjoyed Ethan's podcast. It's one of the podcasts that I listen to immediately when it comes out every week now to help with my Survivor Fantasy pool betting. Maybe we can get like a little bit of a, you know, our friends and magic, magic content creator Ooh, Survivor Fantasy League episode. going Let's on. Go bonus episode anyway uh did you have podcasts you wanted to talk about shane well i mean you had one what are the other ones you like this year because i know you I listen mean, to a lot i do listen to a lot i mean i love bandsplain on spotify which i've talked to you guys about uh it's sort of a love it or hate it experience but i i really love the uh deep history into Absolutely various bands breathtakingly utterly 
gorgeous. Yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous, beautiful song that is bands playing with Yasi Salik. You should Three check beats. it out, especially if you want this most recent season of the show, like from summer to now when they they've gone back on hiatus, has like television blondie it's got like a whole the talking heads it's got all these like 80s yeah i need to to listen to that great it's very very good i really also enjoy this show that i found called dance dance knows history hit dance plane uh, yeah, dance playing. Uh, I, you know, I don't know a ton about them. They showed up in my podcast via, in my feed via some other stuff. I really am a huge fan, of course, of half half ass history, which I think we all are fans of Riley Knights. But I was just like, yeah, I could take more history content. So I started listening to this series of shows in addition to um, Riley's shows every week. So if you don't listen to Riley, you should still listen to half ass history first, and then if you want more history, you can check out this other series. I've also been really into this YouTube series by uh, J- called. Justin Hawkins rides again, which is by the um, the lead singer of the Darkness, mm. and it's basically him just reacting to or talking about what it's the experience of what it's like to be him, reacting to music, talking about things that happen. Like the other day, he did a reaction video to talk to when the Brian Jonestown massacre got in a fight on stage, yes. and he talked about it, and it was just like the wildest like '90s nostalgia. Justin Hawkins, just a guy with like endless charisma, super fascinating to see like where he's been in the last 20 years. So some stuff to check out there. Shane, Stan, who wants to go next? I'll go next because Shane is still typing out this section. Well, it made me, it made me think of something. It's such a long paragraph to the simple question of what other podcast do you like? It's as long as anything he's written about the magic portion of this episode. That's, yeah. that's the important part right here. I mean, I think if books could kill technically started last year, but yeah, oh, I didn't know we we're talking about fresh content. That's not what we like this year. Sure, 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 sure. But like the bulk of the series has been this year, and like that's a pod that I've just absolutely fallen in love with. It's 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 a show that I subscribed for on Patreon just because they have bonus episodes, and I wanted to yeah, consume like I need every to do that. moment that they make. Yeah, no, I love that show too. I I saw that on your guys' list. I didn't want to say anything, but I'm huge additional plus one for if books get kill as well, especially like the reckoning of looking at myself in the mirror from 20 years ago when they talk about turns out kind of journalism or like Malcolm Gladwell books where I was super into that kind of stuff. And now being like, wow, it was all, it was all a dream. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to say why I like it because I think that it's really hard to put two smart people who know a lot about things in a room, especially dudes and not have them try to be the smartest dude in the room. That's why we only have one smart person and two dumb people on this podcast. <laughs> and let's uh let's let the listeners decide. Yeah, Shane, and to your point, like especially when one of those dudes is a lawyer. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So I I it's just like it it's it's smart, insightful, it's like funny and most importantly, I think like they make me look at things that I thought I had takes on in like mm-hmm. new ways. And that's like, I think an important thing. And also it's just kind of like eye opening sometimes because it's through, through the lens of now and sometimes looking back at old books. And I think Stan, we, you, you and I both had grindcast on our list, right. Of other podcasts. And this is for me, I have uh, MTG grindcast, you know, CCR and Lee McLeod uh, and no shade on any other magic podcast out there. I also knew a lot of magic podcasts, right? I, mm-hmm. I just think like Lee and CCR have it figured out. I think, you know, I think CCR and Collins did as well, but like, mm-hmm. 
you know, they're, they're less goofy than us. They're better magic players than us. But I think like they're always thoughtful and insightful and I value their takes a lot. And, and I think that that's just important to have listen to other people who have different takes in you and that you find worth listening to. It, it's funny you should say that they're less goofy than us because the the reason I put Grindcast on my list, even though I've been listening to them for five plus years, like they, you know, they've been they were an inspiration for the dive down. This was the year that I realized that Lee is like I think maybe one of the funniest magic podcasters there are <laughs> out there. Yeah, Lee rules. C- compared to like I too I too listen to a lot of magic shows and like his point of view is one of the only ones that makes me laugh very often just about random things happening within magic the game or the community and um i've appreciated that because i I don't get that from any other magic shows except perhaps ours yeah just a show that doesn't take itself too seriously even though i think they're serious magic players yeah um i also want to mention are you springing springsteen on my bean the con is that the new one with the atoms yeah, the comprehensive and encyclopedic guide to all things Bruce Springsteen. Is this the U2, like yeah, the, the continuation the Adams, of the REM yeah. one? The, the REM, the U2, the talking heads. Are and, you talking heads to my talking head? Yeah, and uh, uh, are you talking U2 oh, to uh, me? They also did uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. So Red Hot Chili Peppers, they did like three episodes. Um, they started it within two episodes. They got bored and transitioned into Talking Heads. <laughs> Good perfection. And after after Makes they sense. were done with Talking Heads, they they did the entire RHCP Remi career in like twenty minutes. Perfect. Uh, That's all you really um, need. But what, what's interesting about them is I listen to all of their shows and episodes, even if they're bands I don't especially care for. Which like was the case for you two. It, it, guys, don't be mad. Like I was never a big REM fan, but I still listen to them. And the same now is true for Springsteen. And they just make me respect and appreciate these artists and like actually suddenly have like a working knowledge of their entire discography and careers. Um, and because they're comedians talking about it. Yeah, um, there's it, definitely it makes some it very comedic, some, com- some, a lot of comedic uh, tangents. Oh yeah. You mean half the show is them just riffing and doing bits yes, before they, which, before they even start talking about anything <laughs> regarding yes. the fans. I don't know. I, th- I feel like, I mean, feel like we're at, we're at time, but any, any other things you guys just want to shout out or say, or I think we should do video game before we go and then get out of here. Oh, we all game, play video yes. games. Yes. That's, we that's a perfect thing stuff to say to end with. Yeah. Dave, I feel like, I feel like you became a gamer this year. Your, your kids are old enough to game. You're gaming independently. Yeah. I mean, it's been fun. I mean, I guess the, the way I would order it in my mind is, you know, I've, I don't know if I talked about this on the show, but my, my sons and I defeated, or completed Breath of the Wild earlier this year for the first time in preparation for Tears of the Kingdom coming out. We have we kind of fell off on Tears of the Kingdom, so I don't have a ton to say about that game, but Breath of the Wild was an amazing like joint experience with me and my two small children, mostly because when we defeated the entire game at the end, my younger son cried. Aww. And then he cried. And then I said, why are you crying? And he said, I don't know. It's over. <laughs> and it was... A memory I will have for a long time. Uh, we had another uh, Switch game that we like to play together a lot. This is in the light game category. It's called Boomerang Foo, and it is like a MOBA trainer game almost. Like it's a six-player combat arena where you your fruit and food items that throw boomerangs at each other, and it's been really fun for me and my kids to play together. Uh, it was like ten bucks. And then I have been playing uh, Baldur's Gate 3 
in reminiscence of when I played Baldur's Gate 1, never played Baldur's Gate 2. Baldur's Gate 3 has been really fun. Honestly, I mean, it's a very weird, complicated game. It's a hard game. It's very adult and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it's 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 fun. And I, I, I've enjoyed doing that the last couple of months in particular. I'm still only like 40 hours into the game because that's how often I get to play. But it's good. Shane, you had a very different reaction to Baldur's Gate. Uh it's overwhelming, right? Like, I think it's like you have to devote time to it and like pretty decent chunks, right? Like, it's not like a pick up and play style game for me, at least. So, I also like, I really found the amount of choices early on a little bit overwhelming for someone like me who kind of wants to understand what I'm doing. Like, I think you could just be like, yeah, whatever. This, this spell sounds cool. I'm going to do it and figure yep. it out. But like, yeah. if I'm like looking up, like, what's, what's, how do I, what spells do I pick to have the best build? for like my whatever it's like it gets a little overwhelming for me and i just had so many i'm a more of a bite-sized gamer like i can't do i can't even do like 20 hour games anymore like give me like a good five to like eight hours and i'm happy like i i played um hyperlight drifter this year on my steam deck and that's an older game but i and i was over the moon about that game like it was just such a good vibe and like super tight pixel combat and just like so many secrets and like the music was great and like the lack of any dialogue and i thought that was like a, an achievement in gaming and just loved going to stuff like that and it's like short and like half-life alex was short like i picked up a new quest 3 headset like i had had a quest one that my brother had given me and it's like old at this point right but like the three's new and it looks great and like just doing a lot of like little diving into vr has been like super interesting and like a new world it's like a new console do you know what i mean like just this world of vr and yeah i, I like I like that a lot you know lies of p i thought was like incredible like bloodborne pinocchio which kind of is a super surprising game like when you hear it described it sounds like it's going to be terrible and it's like this i think a south korean studio made it and it's mind-blowingly good and uh yeah, Street Fighter Six. You know, I've fallen off a little bit. It takes a lot of time to focus on fighting games to be good at them. But this game's going to be around for like five, six years, so I'll get back to it. How about you, buddy? Do you play a lot of games this year? I feel like you know you had a lot of airplane time. I did have a lot of airplane time. Um, I play a lot of Magic Online, <laughs> so that tends to be my most experienced ma- video game. I mean, Tears of the Kingdom. Like, I poured a lot of hours into tears of the kingdom so that's like next to magic that's likely my most played most explored game um the only other video game that i tried that like really wowed me was um this like indie game for the switch called golf story which is yeah. like a, a turn-based so clever golf rpg that's yeah, a very strange game but yes I guess it's like Mario Golf, but I've never played Mario Golf, the original Mario Golf. It makes so me feel like it makes me think of like what I want Pokemon to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I did very recently start playing South Park: The Fractured Butthole, um, and wow, I'm warming up to it. I, I don't know that I love love it yet, but it's like playing a South Park episode, and it's a game that's fun because oftentimes when I'm playing video games, I'm listening to music or podcasts on the side, but with this one, like I'm I'm focused so much on the game that i'm listening to the audio of the game because the voice you just focused on the butthole yeah Yeah, oh yeah oh this yeah this was well regarded this is like a good rpg right yeah it is it's fun it's like it's a grid-based rpg it kind of reminds me of um uh uh Mega Man battle network even though it's not card based it's It's like this is xcom 
It's not tactical the way XCOM is. It's it's closer to Battle Network than it is to XCOM, but it's not like Battle Network was a deck building turn based RPG combat system, and this doesn't have the deck building component. Yeah, I had that game on my Game Boy Advance, I believe. That was right? a good one. Does that fit? That was yeah. a good one. It, that that fits. It sits. All right. Well, we just wanted to share some stuff, other stuff with each other. Let everybody listen in because we hadn't had a chance to just talk about everything. There's definitely a, some stuff on here that I'm going to check out. Survivor Australia. I got to check out DeBlonde. Other things as well. Maybe I got to watch The Exorcist finally. It's it's an achievement in film. All right. We are way over time though. So who wants to take us out of the year 2023? I'll do it. I think I think stands in a dark room with probably family around. That wraps up this week's show. If you have not yet subscribed to the pod, you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, feel free to leave us a rating or review or comment there. If you want to reach out to us, thedivedown at gmail.com or thedivedown on Twitter. Uh, if you want to support us, go to the Patreon at patreon.com slash thedivedown or the store at thedivedown.com slash store. Heavy Play, our repeat sponsor, use code the Dive Down 2023 in numbers for 10% off your order there. Mana Traders, our longtime affiliate, you can use code the Dive Down 23 for 10% off your first two months of running Magic Online cards there. Uh, Barrister Man, the Dive Down 23 with 23 in numbers, just to confuse you, gives you 15% off of your first order there. Get that new Dickens scent drop. And as always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spirit. Space Blood for letting us use their music for five years for just for asking them. And until next week, get out there and have a great 2024!